Man, it's great seeing you guys this morning. Thank you so much for being here and being part of Local this morning. If we've not met yet or if this is your first time here, my name is Brian Haas. I'm the pastor here. And uh, you are catching us at the very end of a series we've been going through the whole month of September where we have been looking at Psalm 23, but in three different parts. And the whole purpose behind going this slow, some of you are like, Yes, we know Psalm 23, move it forward. But the whole purpose between b- b- the whole purpose for going through Psalm 23 this slowly each week is because we're trying to not just pray to God, and it's not just about praying more often, but we are trying to learn how to pray more personally. That's the whole point. Psalm 23 is written as a prayer from King David to God, and in his prayer to God, he's very personal. And notice he doesn't even ask for anything throughout the Psalm 23 prayer. So we're using Psalm 23 as a guide. How can we grow in our personal prayer life? Because if we begin to pray more personal prayers, do you know what the result is of that? Is our relationship with God becomes more personal. And the more personal our relationship with God becomes, the more personal our prayers become. And you start to see this cycle. Whole point is, God desires a personal relationship with us. So not only do we have the relationship that's personal, but we speak to him and we have prayers that are also very personal. So week one, just to give you a little recap, week one, we notice through Psalm 23 that right in the beginning, we are called something and God is called something. You remember what God is called? He's the Lord, our shepherd. He's our shepherd. So if he's our shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep, that's exactly right. So we begin to see that relationship throughout Psalm 23. And beginning, we said, Lord, lead me. Our very first prayer that we wanted to make personal was, Lord, lead me. Just as a shepherd leads his sheep, Lord, lead me. Then second week, what we looked at last week was when we go through these darkest valleys or the the valley of the shadow of death, we ask God personally, open my eyes. Because God, I see the problems in front of me and I see the struggles that I'm walking through. I see the dark valleys, but help me to also see you. The fact that there's a shadow proves that there's a sun. So even though I might not be able to see the sun, I can see the shadow. So God, open my eyes. Help me to see what you are doing. What we're gonna look at today is really two words in our personal prayer. It's the words, thank and you. God, thank you. It doesn't seem very personal, so we're going to make it a little bit more specific here in a second, but those two words are significant and they are important if we are to have a personal relationship with God, to say, Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you. Do me a favor, just think through your day so far. It is 1119 a.m. on Sunday morning. Just in your head, begin to think through, how many times have you said those two words so far? How many times have you said thank you today so far? If you're like me, it's probably not that many. In fact, there's some research done because we know thank you is a really big deal. Parents, we try to teach our kids the importance of saying please and thank you. Look, your parents did a great job. You said it right there. So, and that counts as your one so far. So if you haven't said thank you at all, you've at least said it once so far. But we put a lot of work into helping people say thank you. So research was done and they found in America, the national average for us is that we say thank you five times a day on average. Some of you hear that number and you're like, five? That's a lot. 
I don't know if I'm going to be able to like find five things to be thankful for. So some of you that feels a little out of reach for some of you is like, that's it. We need to do a better job. And that almost makes you a little angry that it's just five. But on the national average, we say thank you five times a day. Now they did continued research. And this is the more fascinating part. Not that we say thank you five times a day, but when they did the study of this, they found on an average that there were 35 instances that thank you should have been said. So we say it for five, but there's 35 that needed it. So in other words, and we know this about ourselves, we miss a lot of the thank yous. We take people for granted. We forget because we get busy. It's not because we're trying to be mean and rude. We just don't always think about those two words. We don't always think about saying thank you. So what we're going to see in the end of Psalm 23 today is those two words where we begin to pray, Lord, thank you. And the reason we say thank you, not just in our relationship with God, but the reason we say thank you in our relationships here is because of the generosity that is given to us. When we recognize generosity, when somebody goes out of their way for you, when they serve you, when they help you, when they're being generous, the right response is always gratitude. Gratitude is, the, is always the right response to generosity. So throughout Psalm 23, but especially these last two verses in verse five and verse six, we are gonna see the generosity of God. And so our response should be that of gratitude to say, Lord, thank you. So if you got your Bibles, be in Psalm 23. We're gonna go through those last two verses. If you don't have a Bible, let me give you one right outside these doors, uh, right before you get where the coffee's at. There's a bunch of Bibles, grab one, that's yours. Our gift to you, best gift I could give you is for you to have a Bible that you call your own. But we'll put the, the words and the, um, the verses on the screen behind me. Here it is. We're gonna go through this kind of slow, really understand what David is saying here and very specifically what to be thankful for in these final two verses of Psalm 23. Verse five. David writes this in his prayer to God. He says, you, God, prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessings. So let's stop there. Let's talk about a few things that are very specific in what David is thankful for as he notices and recognizes the generosity of God. And same for us. What can we be thankful to God for? This first part, David writes, you prepare a feast for me. Now, if you've ever gone out to eat dinner, and I'm sure that's all of us here, think of the process of going out to eat. Once you get to the restaurant, you go to the host stand, and then they ask how many are going to be eating, and you tell them the number. So our family would say five, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. And then we go down to our seat. <laughs> Just kidding. And so we go down to our seat, and then another person comes over, a waiter or a waitress, and they begin to ask, what would you like to drink? So we tell them what we want to drink, and then they go back and they bring us waters. And then they say, can I do anything else for you? Do you need another moment with the menu? We eventually tell them what we want to eat. They go back and make it for us to order, and then they bring it back out, and they lay it all at the table for us. And then that waiter or waitress will say, what else can I get for you? And then they will continue to refill glasses and keep checking on us until we walk out the door. Like it's a pretty amazing experience for the most part. And what David is recognizing God does here, he recognizes that that's what God does for us. He said, God, you prepare a feast for me. In other words, God, you invite us into your home. You invite us to sit at your table and God, you're the one that prepares this meal for me. That doesn't sound right. Like, isn't that supposed to be reversed? Like, aren't we supposed to be the ones serving the Lord? 
But remember the relationship, he's our what? What's it called in verse one? He's our shepherd and we are the sheep. The idea stays the same even though the metaphor switches. And now we are viewed as this honorable guest that gets invited into the presence of God and he serves us. We sit at his table and he prepares not just a meal for us, he prepares a feast for us. He serves us. And Jesus's words in the New Testament as he's doing his ministry and teaching and leading people, he says that the son of man came not to be served, but do you know the end of it? But to serve. And then he goes on and says, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So we are experiencing a personal relationship with God where he serves us. We sit at his table and he serves us. So what are we thankful for? Specifically, we say, Lord, thank you for providing for me. This is your table. This is your food. I am relying on you. I am dependent on you to provide. So Lord, thank you for serving me. Thank you for inviting me into this relationship, but thank you for providing. It's a beautiful picture of him serving us, even when we're not deserving. But it's not the end of the picture of this scene at the table. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Now, this is a little bit of an awkward scene, right? Just imagine here you are at God's table and he's serving you, taking care of you, providing for you. And then you look out the kitchen window and there's a bunch of eyes looking in. Going back to if you've ever eaten out, if you've ever had the family behind you and that kid pokes up over the, over the, the booth, you're like, there's supposed to be a barrier there. There's this invisible barrier that, that kids under the age of eight don't understand. And so they put their face over and they join you in the meal practically, right? You know what I mean? It's just kind of like, ignore them, ignore them. My kid's like, what's he doing? I'm like, just ignore him. You used to do that too. So it's just, just you go with it, right? It's just an awkward moment. And that's really, a, it's a striking image and picture of us eating at the king's table, eating at our shepherd's table, but outside there's all of these enemies just staring at us, watching us eat. It's a little bit of an awkward picture. Let me help you understand what this means though. What this is showing us is those enemies don't disappear. They're not gone, but our shepherd stands between us and them. And that is a beautiful picture of us being able to eat in peace because our shepherd is guarding, because our shepherd is present, because God is there. Now let's talk about enemies just for a quick second, because usually when we say the word enemy, you usually think of a person or persons, people, right? And yes, most certainly you can have enemies that don't like you, that there's tension, that there's conflict, that are other people, but don't limit enemies to just other people. We can have enemies with our current struggles, we can have enemies with our addictions. We can have en enemies with, man, our own self. We can be our own worst enemy as we battle. I know I shouldn't do this, but I do. And I know I should do this, but I don't. So broaden your scope of enemy for a moment. And it's not just the people that don't like you. Enemies are anything or anyone that's trying to pull you away from your personal relationship with God. Anything or anyone that's trying to come between you and a personal relationship with God. And what Jesus does is he stands between us. He stands between us so we can eat in peace. So according to David, what are we thankful for? 
We say, Lord, thank you for protecting me, for standing between me and my enemies. Thank you for protecting me and giving me peace. Because here we are again, eating this feast that our shepherd prepared for us. Even though our enemies are still around us, they have not gone, they have not disappeared. I still have peace. Not because the enemies are gone, but because my shepherd is present. We see that throughout Psalm 23. If you know the earlier parts of Psalm 23, last week we talked about walking through these dark valleys. Before that, in verse one and two and three, we see that we get led into these, man, peaceful streams and these green meadows. But then there's the dark valleys too. Throughout Psalm 23, those difficulties are not removed, but we see the presence of our shepherd. It's the same at the table. He prepares and provides for us, serves us, but he doesn't take away the enemies, but he does stand in between us so we may have peace. So you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. Then this next part, you honor me by anointing my head with oil. That's one of those, those lines that doesn't translate very well, culturally speaking. The first part makes total sense. I, I get it. Like he serves us. He's here for us. He provides for us. The whole table feast scene makes sense. Even the part with enemies where we can be surrounded, yet our God is still there protecting us, providing peace. We get that. But anointing my head with oil, how does that translate here? Let me give you a little context, and we could talk a lot about how in Bible times, how oil would have been used and for medical reasons and all kinds of other reasons. But here, the point David is making is symbolic. So if you know the story of King David before he was king, a prophet came to David and anointed his head with oil to say, you are now the new king. You will now be the king of Israel. So oil was also used in Bible times, culturally speaking, as a way to symbolize setting apart. So you had David, the shepherd boy, and then he was anointed with oil, and now he's the future king. So that oil set David apart. So for us to pray, God, you have anointed my head. You have honored me by anointing my head with oil. Is saying God is setting you apart. You are not just one of the many, many sheep of the shepherd. He knows you by name specifically, and he has an intentional purpose for you. You have been anointed with oil. You have been set apart. You're not just one of the many. You are his, and he knows you and has a unique, a unique plan and purpose for you. In our kitchen, uh, we have cabinets that have a bunch of glasses and mugs and coffee mugs and Moe's cups. Kids eat free on Sunday, so we accumulate Moe's cups. There you go. If you don't have a place for lunch, I, I would recommend Moe's if you have kids or if you look like a kid. Anyway, so we have a bunch of these. Some of you are going to try that. So we have a bunch of mugs in there, but we only have a few of these. And I don't know if you can quite tell, but on the front of it, it says hot, hot, hot after the Polar Express movie, hot chocolate. So these are our hot chocolate mugs. Now, like I said, we have a cabinet full of cups and glasses and mugs, and those other cups and glasses and mugs can get used for whatever. I drink coffee in the morning, so I will grab any of the cups and make coffee, but I most certainly will never put coffee in this mug. We have a lot of different glasses, so when kids want some water, or they want some milk, or they want something to drink, you can choose from any of the other cups, any of the other mugs, but you do not use these for anything except hot chocolate. Now, it is officially fall. Can we just be thankful for that one right there? It is officially fall, and so these mugs are about to get used. 
And my kids know this when it's like, man, we want some hot chocolate. They'll climb up onto the countertop and they'll open the cabinets and they will bypass every single mug until they find the hot chocolate mugs. And we know it's time for hot chocolate. I would, I don't even know what I would do as a father of my house, the, the head of my house. If I saw one of my children walking around with a hot chocolate mug with water in it, that would be absurd. I mean, how dare you? Right? You would never see me put anything in this other than hot chocolate because it has been set apart for hot chocolate, a very specific and intentional purpose. This mug has been anointed with oil to be set apart for hot chocolate. <laughs> right? That's what it means. It's a great example of something that has been set apart. And so when we pray like David prayed, God, you honor me by anointing my head with oil, what we're saying is, God, thank you for giving me a purpose. Lord, thank you for giving me a purpose that is specific to me, that is unique to me, that it's how you created me. And it's not who I was, but it's who you're creating me to be, who you are developing me to be. Because who I was is different than who you want me to become. So Lord, how do we say thank you very specifically? Lord, thank you for giving me purpose. Thank you for setting me apart. Thank you for giving me a purpose based in your plan. So you prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You provide for me. You protect me. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. You set me apart. You give me a purpose. And then here's the last part of verse five. My cup overflows with blessings. What a beautiful image. A cup that overflows. This might be helpful in you thinking of scarcity versus abundance. A scarcity mindset, there's never enough. We don't have enough or an, abundant, an abundance mindset that says, oh, there's plenty, there's more than enough, right? So in our house, not only do we have anointed mugs, we also have, we try to teach our kids like, no, like God provides and he'll always take care of us. So we try not to like lead our kids down the, the path of a scarcity mindset, but there is a few things in our home where we make sure they know that like those are limited resources. Like there's not a lot of that. It is a scarcity mindset. One of those for us is cereal, Cereal is a limited resource, but it's a hot commodity in the Haas household. So we usually do like a Costco run once a month. And so we load up on the big boxes and bags of Costco cereal and we'll sit our kids down and say, guys, it's the first of the month. This cereal will be gone at some point. And when it's gone, it's gone. So if you eat all of it today, we are not going, we will not step foot back in Costco for at least another 30 days. Like mentally, we can't handle it or financially. It's not good for us to go more than once a month. So it's not going to happen. So what we have to train them to do is to view cereal as scarce. And so I go over and say, here's one Cheerio for you. Here's one Cheerio for you. Here's one Cheerio for you. Eat that. Come back and we'll talk. We'll even be known, I have to be careful, my, my oldest is in here, he's gonna learn my tricks now. We hide half of the cereal. Like we hide part of it because then they think it's almost gone and in the middle of the night, we throw the empty box away, we put the new one out. Not to think, we don't want them to think that it'll keep doing that because it won't. <laughs> right, and oftentimes when it comes to God, we view God with a scarcity mindset. We say, God, you can't bless me because you blessed me last week. God, you can't bless me because if you keep blessing me like this, you're gonna run out and I'd like to save some of those blessings for later on in life. It's not like God is 
saving blessings for you. It's not that he's rationing blessings for you. No, this shows us that in God's economy, it's an economy of abundance. And our God, our shepherd has an abundant mindset where he doesn't just bless us. He blesses us abundantly with a cup that overflows. We say, thank you for that. We say, God, thank you for blessing me, but not just blessing me here and, there, here and there, not just blessing me in these few situations. No, God, thank you for blessing me abundantly. And let me just say, just to be clear, so we're on the same page, don't equate blessings with finances. For some reason, we tend to just immediately think blessings mean money, not true whatsoever. God blesses us in so many different ways. And let's be honest, many of them we take for granted. The breath that you're breathing is a blessing. Sitting in a room where we worship together freely is a blessing. Having people in your life that care about you, blessing. So many blessings, our cup overflows. So Lord, thank you for blessing me abundantly. He is not rationing. He is not saving or storing or hoarding blessings. He freely gives and he gives abundantly. So we say, thank you. That's verse five, verse six, a couple more things to look at. Verse six, we're told in, the, in David's prayer, he says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Let's look at that first part. He says, surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. Now, as David says that, let's again, let's recap real quick what has happened. We've said it a few times already. Recap what's happened throughout Psalm 23 in David's prayer. There's been green meadows. There's been peaceful streams. There's been dark valleys. And what David is saying is through all of those, the green meadows, the peaceful streams, and the darkest valley, your goodness and your unfailing love will continue to pursue me all the days of my life. It doesn't matter whether it's the good times or the bad times or anywhere in between. God, your goodness, your unfailing love will always be with me. There will never be a spot in my life where that will not be true. There will never be an environment I find myself in that will not include your goodness and your unfailing love. I will never go through a situation, a circumstance, a relationship where God, your goodness and your unfailing love will cease to be there. And the good and the bad and everywhere in between are the green meadows and the darkest valleys. You will be there. Specifically, your goodness and your unfailing love. That's grace. Because nowhere in here does David mention this and wouldn't be the case for us either. We don't deserve that. Right? What about the situations where, well, you know what? This was actually my fault. I'm in this problem because I caused it. Well, According to this, his goodness and his unfailing love will continue to be with you. So even when we don't deserve his goodness, it's still there. Even when we don't deserve his unfailing love, it still pursues us. That's called grace because we don't deserve it. We've done nothing to earn it. Goodness and unfailing love from God is not a reward for doing good. It's because we are his. He's our shepherd, we are his sheep. And so he, out of the goodness of his heart, because he loves us unconditionally and with grace, he gives us both his goodness and his unfailing love. So how do we say thank you to this? We just say thank you for your grace. Lord, thank you for your grace. I don't deserve it. 
I cannot do anything to earn it, but I recognize that you give it. You are generous with your grace. So Lord, thank you for your grace. Now there's a word at the beginning of this that David uses that I think is very helpful for us to also pay attention to. He says, not your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. There's a word at the front. Do you remember what it said? You didn't remember it. Let me read it. Let me help you. All right, listen this time. Second time's the charm, right? Surely your goodness and unfailing love will, follow, will pursue me or follow me all the days of my life. That word surely there speaks to confidence. Some translations use certainly. It is certain. It is without a doubt. I have no evidence that will make me believe something different. Surely and certainly, God, your goodness and your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. I have no doubt. So how can David say that with such certainty? Because in my seat and in my own life, as I meet with, with you, as I have those, those hard conversations where I, I'm invited into your life and, and into your situations, and man, I, I hear the heartbreak and I hear the hurt and I hear the struggles and I experience it in my own life. And at times we sometimes say, I think your goodness and unfailing love is with me. I know that your goodness and unfailing love should be there, but but this situation, like, are you sure in this circumstance, even when it's my fault, even in this darkest of dark valleys, how can David in his prayer life be so certain that God's grace is still there? Let's ask that question. Like, let's have a moment and let's be real and ask the question, because I would rather us wrestle for a moment and come out on the other side with certainty than to not ask the question at all because we're afraid of where it might lead. So let's ask the question. Begin to think, is there a situation? Is there a circumstance? Is there a sin? Is there a problem? Is there anything you could walk through where God's love, his unfailing love and his grace and his goodness would say, nope, can't go there. Is there anything you could walk into that God says, nope, I can't follow you there. Is there anything that you'll find yourself in where God's grace won't show up? Because if we can't say with certainty then that leaves room for doubt. So as we ask that question, Paul asked that same question, Romans chapter eight. Here's how he asked the question, verse 35, Paul writes, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Great question. Is there any situation, any circumstance, any sin, any problem, any hardship where I'm gonna be that God's love is gonna be separate? Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened, or threatened with death. I feel like he covered just about everything there. Is there anything that we'll walk through where God's love through Jesus would be separate from us? His answer, verse 37, no. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Notice our victory is through Christ, though. It's not through anything we have done. Again, grace is what we receive, even though we don't deserve it. So yes, technically speaking, our sin most certainly separates us from God. When we sinned, when we choose our own way versus God's way, that created a chasm between us and God. We did become separate from God. But again, it's the victory through Christ. So when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sins away. Scripture says he moved them as far as the east is from the west, so as far as they could possibly be. He removed our sins from us. When he rose from the grave three days later, he defeated not just sin, but he also defeated death and he gives us the gift of life. 
And from that, not just life, as far as like eternal life, but he also gives us life in our relationship with God. He reconciled our relationship with him. So what was once separate has now been reconciled through the victory that Christ has given us. Paul goes on, verse 38, and I am convinced that neither, nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears of today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. He's not done, verse 39, no power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So can we say like David, surely, certainly your goodness and your unfailing love will follow me and pursue me all the days of my life? Yes, because of what Jesus did on the cross. Because of Jesus, that grace will always be there. So when we say, Lord, thank you for your grace, understand what it cost for us to be able to say that. It cost Jesus his life. But in the cost of his life, we were given life. And our relationship with God has been restored. So surely your goodness, certainly your goodness, without a doubt, your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. But David's not done. He, he's finishing his sentence. There's not a period there. There's a comma. And then he says, and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. And I will live in the house of the Lord forever forever. So David is separating what he receives now on earth and what he receives for all of eternity in heaven. He says, I get to experience God's goodness and God's love and God's grace here and now all the days of my physical life. And as I step into eternity, I get to dwell. I get to spend the rest of eternity in the house of the Lord. Now, I love how personal this last part is. This is the very last part of David's prayer, this personal prayer. And he ends it with certainty and with such a personal relationship. It's not just, and I'm certain that God will be with me or I will be with him forever. He says, I will live in his house. Not just I'm gonna be with him forever, I'm gonna be in his house. I don't know about you, maybe this will reveal you know, more of my issues than I intended to. I'm not that hospital of a, hospitable, is that how you say that word? I don't have a lot of hospitality. That's a better way of saying it. My wife is great at it. But for me, everybody in my house has a show up time and a go home time, except my wife. She's the only one that this rule does not apply to. Even my children have this in, in it's written. It says, no, like there's gonna be a day when you turn 18 that guess what? You are no longer like here, here. And I want you to come back and visit, but I also want you to go back home somewhere else. Right? I truly cannot think of one individual other than my amazing wife that I would say, you can live with me in my house forever. <laughs> There's not a person on the planet that I would be willing to say that to except for Becky, period. Right? I love having people over at our house, but again, you show up at a certain time, you go home at a certain time. Even with family that I love dearly, we want you to come, come and visit for a time period. And even though we say, you know, like stay as long as you want within reason. <laughs> and if you extend, if you overextend that welcome, I will be very polite about it, but I would say, hey, it's time for you to go home so that we can do this again another time, right? I couldn't fathom saying this, but understand what this means personally in our relationship with God. 
We are not guests in God's house. We are not visitors invited into his house. We are his coming home. And he says, I'm ready for you to be with me in my house together. And that last word, forever, forever. So what do we say to that? We say, thank you for that promise. Thank you for that hope. The promise and the hope of eternal life. That it's nothing that's earned and it's nothing deserved. Eternal life is not a reward for making a bunch of great choices here on earth. Eternal life is when we put our trust and our hope in our shepherd. And he gives us life and goodness and unfailing love in our days here. And he invites us to come home and live with him for all of eternity. Not because we deserve it, but because we are his. It's that personal of a relationship. Our God is very generous. And because of his generosity, we show gratitude. Here's what, how I'd like us to end. Um, I'm gonna read through Psalm 23. We only looked at the last two verses. There's the other parts of that I'm gonna read through. But as I read through it, I don't want you to be reading along with me in this moment, right? Give your eyes a break for a second. I'm not gonna put it up on the screen. I'm just gonna read Psalm 23 and I'm gonna read it a lot slower than you might like. And as I read through it, I want you to just listen specifically listen for the generosity of God. Because as you pick up on those generous moments through this prayer, that should move us to gratitude. So listen as I read Psalm 23, a very personal prayer. Listen for the generosity and may our hearts be turned to gratitude. Psalm 23, the prayer begins in verse one. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along the right paths, which bring honor to his name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil and my cup overflows with blessings. Surely your goodness and unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will live in the house of the Lord forever. Do you hear the generosity of our God, of our shepherd? That should move us to saying those words, Lord, thank you. To help you, I, hopefully you picked up most of them. If not, let me show you this for a second. Let me walk you through it. If you go through Psalm 23, those are the things that we have to be thankful for. That is the generosity of God in this one prayer in Psalm 23. Because he's our shepherd, he's my shepherd, Lord, thank you for leading me to a place of rest. Wherever he leads, he causes us to also rest. Lord, thank you for your peace, because not only do you lead me to rest, you also lead me to places of peace. Even in the midst of difficulties, there's still peace that he gives. Lord, thank you for strength. It's not my strength. It's not my inner strength. It's not because I work harder and do better. He renews my strength. He is the giver of strength. Lord, thank you for guidance. I don't always know which way to go. I don't always know what's right and what's wrong or what's best. 
So Lord, I trust you to give me guidance. Lord, thank you for friendship, that you are close beside me, that you are a companion of mine, not just there because you have to, you're there because you want to and you call me friend. Lord, thank you for comfort. Your rod and your staff, sometimes even the discipline and the direction you give, it brings comfort because he cares. Lord, thank you for provision. As we said today, you provide this feast. You provide the food. So I'm trusting in you and I thank you for all of the provision. Thank you for protection, not for removing the enemies, but standing between me and my enemies. Thank you for purpose, that you have set me apart for a specific purpose, to do what you've called me to do, to be who you've called me to be. Thank you for abundance, that it's not scarce, it's not a scarcity mindset where there's just a little bit to go around. No, God, thank you for having an abundance of blessings that you constantly pour out when we don't deserve it and most certainly when we don't earn it. Lord, thank you for grace, that grace is not a reward for doing the right things. Grace is the benefit of having God as your father and his goodness and his unfailing love will always pursue us, chase after us all the days of our life. God, I'm thankful that I'm not gonna be in a spot where your grace won't show up. God, I'm thankful that, that grace is not dependent on me doing the right things. Thank you for the grace that comes from your son, Jesus. And ultimately, Lord, thank you for hope that we make it through this life because we know what's on the other side. We know who you are and you invite us to not be visitors and not be guests, but to be your children that live with you in your home forever. So we have hope. We have hope. There's a lot to be thankful for because our God is a very generous God. I hang on to a, a handful of notes that mainly like family, like Becky and the kids have written and uh, man, very personal, very meaningful um, so I hold them very close and hold them very dear. Uh, one of them in particular, I keep in my car. It's small enough where I actually keep it on the little center console of my car. And I've had it there for at least three years. I don't know exactly when it was written, but it was a while ago. So this was written for my oldest son. I'm going to put it up here so you can read it with me. It says, thank you for guiding me. I like that you work at church. Love, Connor. So man, I hold on to this. He doesn't even know that, but man, this stays in my car all the time. Now, is there, some mis is there some spelling errors there? Yeah, of course, right? Does that sound like what an adult would write? Of course not. As a father who received this thank you note from my son, nothing is more precious to me. And he used those two words, thank you. When we thank God, we're not gonna always get it right. When we thank God, we're gonna have some spelling errors and mistakes all over the place. It's not gonna sound very professional and polished, but I promise you, as a child of God, your heavenly father wants nothing more than to hold that thank you card that you write to him. So with that being said, you're probably sitting on one of those right now. Grab that other card. Some of you are already overachievers. And you're like, ooh, what is this? What are we doing today? Some of you wanted the surprise. Either way, open it up. You'll notice that it is just a thank you card. And if you open it up again, you notice that it's blank. Here's what I'm gonna give you a moment to do. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. Beth, if we can put those, uh, the generosity of God back up there, there's the 12 things we read in Psalm 23 that we are to be thankful for. I wanna give you a moment to pick one. Yes, we should be thankful for all of these all the time, but let's, focus, let's start with one. Pick one of these 12 that you say, I just need to be thankful for this right now. 
Or I've seen God show up in this way and I just want to make sure that I say those two words, thank you. Maybe one of these you've taken for granted and you're like, man, I haven't said thank you for this in a long time. Whatever it is, I want you to pick one and I want you to write that one word down on your card. One of those 12, what do you need to be thankful for? How have you seen God show himself in that way? Write one of those down. If you wanna write more, you're welcome to it, but at least write one word. When you're done, you can put it back in the envelope and you're gonna hold on to this. And every time you see it, every time you have it, it's a reminder of the generosity of our God, the personal relationship we have with him, and for us to remember to say those two words, thank you. We'll pull down the lights. We'll give you a moment to look over the list and prayerfully consider how you are gonna thank God today.